when he brings clients or, or vendors or just friends into his office, he sits them down at his desk and says, watch this. And he shows off his gig like it's his new shiny red Corvette. This is episode 252 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. When Christopher was at the Broadband Communities Conference in Austin recently, he had the opportunity to check in with Robert Wack, City Council President from Westminster, Maryland. Westminster is a town of about 18,000 people that decided the best way to improve local connectivity for schools, businesses, and residents was to invest in publicly owned fiber and work with a private sector partner. In 2015, they began working with ISP Ting. Robert was the leading voice of the initiative. He gives Chris an update on how things are going in Westminster, and the two talk about expectations, realities, plans, and challenges. Robert was on the show way back in 2014 for episode 100 when the project was just getting started, and we've written about Westminster for MuniNetworks.org as the community network has grown. Be sure to check it out. Now here's Christopher with Robert Wack, City Council President from Westminster, Maryland. Welcome to the Community Broadband Bits Podcast, live edition, coming to you live from the Broadband Community Summit with Robert Wack, the City Council President from Westminster, Maryland. Welcome back to the show, Robert. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. I'm excited to get an update because I know that things have been going well. I've been following, and I don't think we've talked about this much since uh, maybe we did a podcast talking about the public-private partnership as you were getting it kicked off. It was a long time ago. And as you recall, in the fall, when we saw each other in Minneapolis, I said, when are you going to ask me to come back and talk about our project? And you gave me a look and said, well, when you have numbers, real numbers to talk about, then we'll have a discussion. That sounds more honest than I normally am, <laughs> so I'm not sure that that happened. <laughs> no, I think we know each other well enough now that you, you, you're honest with me and you were pretty direct. Yeah, we probably had a you know a whole like four or five guests lined up at that time, and I was feeling pretty good. <laughs> but when I have people face to face, I love to to be able to to do the recording here um, in this very professional studio of my hotel room. Um, so um, so let's just do a, a quick reminder for people who aren't familiar. If if you were just you know if you had a elevator pitch for what you're doing in Westminster, how would you describe it? We're building a community wide gigabit broadband network uh, using a, a unique an innovative public-private partnership model. Uh, The fiber is completely um, owned and built and maintained by the city of Westminster, and our private partner, Ting, uh, lights the fiber, installs the equipment, and has the customer service relationship with uh, all the residents and businesses. Now, let me ask you, because I know that you pay really close attention to what's happening out there. What do you think is most unique about your approach? Now that I've I have seen more projects all across the country, our project is is even more remarkable than I originally understood because we started with nothing. Uh, we didn't have a municipal utility. Um, we had no native uh, fiber experience or skills within our city employees. Frankly, we didn't know what the heck we were getting ourselves into, but we knew we wanted to do it, and it's been a very steep learning curve. Uh, and had I known back then how hard this was going to be, I'll be honest, I might have had some second thoughts. But we've done it, um, or we are doing it, um, with considerable success. Um, and the other thing that's remarkable about our project is our relationship with our partner. Uh, Ting is a fabulous company to work with. 
They've been uh, as interested in creating innovative solutions to this kind of tricky space of how do you divvy up the responsibilities of creating a gigabit fiber network in a community, but not pushing either partner outside their comfort zone. And uh, they've been great to work with. Let me tell you what I think is something that is incredibly unique and I hope continues to get people thinking along these lines. And I'm curious how you react. Your relationship with Ting is, as you alluded to, I think unique in the sense that I don't think there's another place where that relationship is happening, even where Ting's working with other cities. You divide up the the responsibility in the event of a uh, an event where you don't have enough money for debt service. If the money, if the network is not producing enough cash, um, you pay the city pays a certain amount, then Ting pays a hundred thousand dollars, and then you pay the rest potentially. So it actually for the first two hundred thousand dollars of overage basically splits it down the middle, right? If I'm remembering correctly, it, it, yeah, more or less, yeah, right. So it's it's a little bit complicated, but it's something that we haven't seen anywhere else. The thing that I've that I thought was genius was that uh, Ting pays you because you own the fiber and Ting pays you for homes that could connect to the fiber but are not connected to the fiber, thereby giving them an incentive to do a really good job advertising. Exactly. And and where how we got to that is something it's something that I've been talking about a lot, but I'm not sure it's 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 catching on. And I don't know if that's my fault or <laughs> there's a problem with the idea. But it's thinking about fiber as real estate. So if you think about uh, a shopping mall and you go into a shopping mall and you want to open a yogurt stand, you're going to pay a base rent. Even if you never make a penny, you still owe the landlord a, a, a base rent. Now, some real uh, landlords will do interesting things where they will give you a cut, a break on your base rent in exchange for a piece of your business, you know, so some percentage of your profits or of your revenues. So we looked at that and ours is skewed more heavily toward the performance part, you know, so we get a bigger payment for a lit customer than we do for a past premise. But the past premise is exactly what you said. It's an incentive. It's a, it's a, it's a base payment to help us cover our debt service, but it also creates a very powerful incentive for them to get those customers lit. And um, it also creates an incentive for us to help them get customers lit. Uh, and because when we did our research looking at other projects that have failed around the country, that was one of the things is that there weren't uh, aligned incentives all the way along the process, mm-hmm. you know, so there, there, there's incentives aligned during construction, but then the operations part and the customer service part and the subscriber enrollment part, there have to be very concrete, real incentives for both parties to be working together at each of those stages, even though that thing may be more one party's responsibility than the other. You want them helping each other all along. To what extent do you think your successful relationship with Ting comes out of Ting being a really interesting partner versus the contract that you drew up with them? Well, that's a really interesting question, Chris, and I, I refuse to be drawn into the false dichotomy that you're you're proposing. <laughs> it here. was a brilliant contract this with is, the right group. <laughs> this is this is like choosing between your spouse and your and your wedding vows or something like that. You know. There, you, they, it's both, and and they are, uh, they are, a function of each other. You know, we wouldn't have the contract we have without Ting as being the partner that they are, 
and and vice versa. We wouldn't have Ting as a partner if we weren't willing to be creative with the contract and and do innovative things. So uh, I think they're 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 inextricably intertwined. You can't you can't separate them out. Um, but that should be a goal, you know, going mm-hmm. into the relationship, knowing what both parties want, and then being willing to do whatever it takes to make it happen. But also then a lesson that one can't just take your contract and say, we're going to do it with this group. That's correct. It's, there's, that's another you know, lesson from this as I've gone around the country and looked at other kinds of projects is there's, there's no template. There are some principles. There's some basic concepts um, you know, about risk sharing and uh, proper allocation of risk between the parties. But the devil's in the details, and those are going to be a function of the unique characteristics of the community, the local government, and the partner, and the kind of project, and and the community, the features of the community, and what's possible. And uh, so, yeah, every 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 contract, every partnership is going to be unique. Um, but there are some underlying principles that are common to all of them. Let me ask you then, you said, you know, you had some doubts as to whether maybe you might not have done it based on um, the, the how difficult it's been. Um, uh, well, what has been the most difficult part of this? Because I think from afar, we just see you rolling and rolling and rolling, and it looks like it's working pretty well. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, I'm probably, my, my perception is skewed because I live it day to day. One of the biggest challenges has been we're pushing our uh, municipal employees, particularly the folks in public works, really hard, way far outside their comfort zone uh, because this fiber stuff is not anything they've done before. And they're doing a great job learning it, but it's a lot to learn. The, the other piece is just managing the vendors in this space. It's something that's new you know we've never we've never contracted with fiber engineers before we've never contracted with fiber construction companies before and we don't have that capability so we are relying totally on them to to do the work the way it's supposed to be done in a timely manner under budget and that's a lot of work managing that and so we're getting better uh, and but I, I I'd be lying if I said if it, it's been perfect you know there have been little snags along the way and then there's stuff that's out of our control so for example uh, the fiber shortage um, last you know in the last 18 months it's gotten better but uh, we had a, a solid six months where we couldn't do anything because we couldn't get fiber and that was a, uh, a result of all the other activity around the country and that didn't plan on that, but we had to deal with it. Um, weather was another thing. And then the whole utility locate thing. Um, we are putting such a burden on our local utility locating company that there are delays sometimes because of that. We, we ask them to come out and do, you know, 100 locates because we're getting ready to plow through a neighborhood and they can't keep up with us. Uh, so little things like that, but they add up. And so we're, you know, behind schedule, not catastrophically. So, uh, we're certainly under budget. Uh, our guys have done a great job managing the construction costs. And so we're, we're de- doing really well in that regard. And now our take numbers, our subscriber numbers are, are really picking up. So, um, we're very pleased overall. Right. And so as a refresher for people, um, you have Comcast and uh, Verizon DSL, um, those two service providers in the area. They hadn't done much like really investment to keep you current. You partnered with Ting. Ting is uh, rolling out. You're doing this in an incremental fashion about how much of the community has service already. We're probably at about 
20% of what will ultimately be the total build. The pilot project was pretty small relative to the rest of the city. This first phase that we just lit is about 800 premises. And then this next phase after that is another 1,700. So, and that'll be completed by the end of this year. So that will end up being about 30%, 30, 30 some percent by the end of this year will be built out. So uh, still early, relatively, um, but as I said, we're, we're very pleased with the subscriber take already, even in this early stage. So what are you seeing? North of 30% in the pilot project, and then in phase one that just got lit, we're already at 15%. Altogether, then, with those two pieces, it's about 10% of what's been constructed. Um, so not where we want it to be. We want, you know, generally to be north of 20% for the whole thing. But the trajectory is in the right direction. Right. If I remember correctly, you uh, are obligated to go to the next phase when you hit 20%. So um, sounds like, I mean, if you're that close that quickly, it sounds like you're um, doing what you were expecting to do uh, when you were making the plan. 20% is kind of a guideline uh, that, that both Ting and we agreed to. Um, but there's wiggle room in the contract that allows both of us to say, hey, speed up, hey, slow down. And so it's a discussion. And again, it goes back to the partnership and the lines of communication and um, you know their efforts uh, and success with their um, subscriber enrollment and the pre-subscription numbers uh, are sufficient enough that to give us confidence to keep moving. Just reminds me of the the line from Pirates of the Caribbean. If you can remember back to I don't know twenty movies ago when it first came out, it was the the Pirates Code more of a guideline than uh, than it's a more law. of a guideline, love. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you are aiming for citywide uh, for people who are not going to go back and listen to our original interview. Um, I'll spoil it for them. You're building out citywide. Citywide, that will end up being over 7,000 premises. Uh, and then uh, we're already looking at building beyond the perimeter of the city. Uh, assuming this, we have a continued success that we're having now. Um, we'll start looking at ways to finance extending it out to our entire water sewer service system, which will end up being about 15,000 premises. Wow, that's wonderful. And, and Carroll County already has some fiber infrastructure, so I hope that helps a little bit. It will a little. Um, mostly what's near the city is, is going to be all us. But the county's you know, interested in working with us, so... Yeah. When we last spoke, I feel like you already had some early business excitement. You had a business that brought more. They were coming into your community. They brought more into, into your community than they expected because of this infrastructure. Do you have any other exciting stories? Anybody stopping you at the grocery store to say, I can't believe how wonderful this well, is? Actually, yes. Uh, one of my colleagues on the council ran into somebody at a, a soccer game or something. And it was a, a father of a family of four in one of the neighborhoods that we just lit. And this guy almost threw himself weeping into the arms of my colleague saying, thank you, you have saved my family because our internet before was so crappy that the kids were fighting all the time. I couldn't get work done. My wife works from home and it was a nightmare. And uh, we got our ting lit up and for the first time in years, everybody's happy and we can all do whatever we want, stream movies, download large files, and nobody has a problem and everybody's happy. 
That reminds me of a story. Then, and this actually just this is something that never gets discussed in in public policy. I feel like that's important, right? I mean, that's like a and you're a doctor. Like that's a measurement of like quality of life stress. and health and stress. Yeah. yeah. There was a family we interviewed in Ammon, Idaho, that um, they were on the city. They were on the cable system um, that uh, the city was building a fiber network to basically uh, offer people good service because the cable system was so bad. And this is a cable system that's advertising gigabit speeds, but the modem people's cable modems kept cutting out and so these people would say every Saturday morning they'd be woken up by their kids early because they'd be like we can't get on the computer we can't do this we can't play the games and as soon as they switched over to the they were beta testers on Ammon's municipal fiber network and they were just talking about how they got to sleep in on Saturday mornings <laughs> now <laughs> well so along those lines we have uh, another biz- a business locally who's a software development company and as you may know, in software development, uh, it's usually a distributed process. So they have developers in other countries all over the United States. And they're moving big files back and forth all the time to, to test modules. And, and, you know, it's just part of the process. It's a very iterative process. So he said once they got their gig that it shortened their development time by days. And uh, when he brings clients or, or vendors or just friends into his office, he sits them down at his desk and says, watch this. And he shows off his gig like it's his new shiny red Corvette. Those are his words. Because this is my shiny red Corvette. Watch this. And he does a speed test and starts doing stuff. And uh, it's made a significant uh, impact on the the efficiency and profitability of his business. I believe it. One of the things that I'd like to do, I think, is not to tell people, to have them sit down and say, hey, just, you know, go check out some news sites or do something you'd normally do online and, and just see how they react. And, and if it, if they notice a big difference, I suspect they would. They may not notice it immediately, but once you call it to their attention, I would guess that they'll just be blown away. There's a video out there from our fiber lighting ceremony and the Ting folks put it together. And there's a short clip showing a young girl with her phone flipping through some stuff and that's my daughter and you look at the smile on her face she said literally this is unbelievable this blows me away because she was flying through stuff on her phone just from the wi-fi connection from the gigabit at the place where we were so yeah yeah it's it's it is um, a a mind-blowing experience when you feel it and experience it for yourself so I want to get on to the discussion around what you're actually doing with it in a, in a minute. But first, have we covered all the, the nuts and bolts in terms of the numbers that you're seeing and, and your experiences with the, the infrastructure stuff? Yeah, I mean, so, so we're, we're a little behind schedule. We are under budget and our subscriber numbers are hitting the targets that we're expecting. And we are covering our debt service. That's probably the most important number from a municipal finance perspective and the and the replicability of this model is that this is paying for itself so this is a 21 million dollar project that at the end of the day if we stay on track like this it will not impact city finances by a penny because the revenues generated by the fiber will pay for the fiber and that's a really really important thing for people to know that's interesting because one of the things that I 
perhaps falsely remember was that you didn't make a huge deal about that. I mean, some people, they make this whole thing. I'm well, your taxes will not be raised. We are going to build this network without using a penny of taxpayer dollars. I seem to recall, I know that you live in a more conservative community, but I seem to recall you saying this is infrastructure. We're going to make it work. Chris, that's called managing expectations, my friend. (laughs) So you're right. I did not make a big deal out of that because I didn't know with a capital K that that's how it was going to work out. But now that we have data and that was our intention for it to work out that way, but we weren't going to lead with that because if we didn't deliver on that, it would have been a big problem. So yes, we opened with the argument that this is infrastructure and this is our responsibility as municipal officials to provide this kind of infrastructure because it's good for our economy and that's it but the plan all along was for it to pay for itself but we weren't going to lead with that because we didn't know for sure that that was going to be the case that's politics baby well that's that's (laughs) successful politics maybe yeah (laughs) not just politics um what's magic MAGIC stands for the Mid-Atlantic Gigabit Innovation Collaboratory. And what MAGIC mission is, it's an independent nonprofit that's building economic development around technology generally and broadband infrastructure specifically. A thing I'm involved with that's going to leverage our fiber infrastructure and hopefully turn it into jobs and uh, new companies in our community and new investment dollars. As uh, Jason Stanbar, our former executive director, says, um, it's it's a magic trick. We turn fiber into jobs and investment. I think this is something I really want to spend a few minutes on. Who are the people that are in the collaboratory? Right now, it's a combined effort between MAGIC, our library system, uh, the Career and Tech uh, Center that's part of the Carroll County Public Schools, the Community Media Center, and the Community College, and McDaniel College. So we've got all the educational institutions involved, and we do three general categories of things. One we call tech experiences, which is really just another way of saying workforce development. We try to draw as many students in as possible into technology programming that gives them new skills, gets them exposed to employers, and hopefully gets them into internships and part-time jobs. The second group of activities we do are what we call our innovation labs. And these are demonstration projects for different kinds of technology. And that one, the, the, the sort of the flagship of that category is our smart home project, which is tied into the fiber network. And we're doing some really cool work with telehealth with that. Um, and then the last is sort of a more traditional uh, incubation effort where we are assisting startups with mostly business development kinds of um services. We do not have a building. We're not in the real estate business. We're not leasing cubicles. When you say incubator, that's typically what people go to right away. Oh, you've got a cool building where you've got young people hanging out, playing foosball and free pop. Yeah, right. No, we're not doing that. Um, We're not doing that yet. Uh, Maybe someday when we've got a hundred startups that can't find office space on main street, that's a good problem to have. And then we'll, then we'll do that. But right now we've got plenty of office space on main street. So we're not doing the real estate thing, but we are helping startups. If we fast forward five or 10 years, how will you know magic was successful? There will be um, a lot of 20-somethings crowding the bars and cafes on Main Street. Um, There'll be a lot of cool logos um, visible from Main Street because these companies have taken up office space on Main Street. 
Um, we'll have some splashy announcement about some venture capital group dumped $5 million into a Westminster or Carroll County-based technology company. Um, but most importantly, we'll have kids graduating from local and area schools saying, I'm going to Westminster because that's where all the cool stuff's happening. And believe it or not, just in the you know little over a year we've been in operations, we, we're getting that already. No, I believe it. And, you know, part of the reason I say that is I I grew up in eastern Pennsylvania, Um, family friends who have some daughters that recently graduated from college. You know, they love going down to Baltimore and they drive down to Baltimore for weekends regularly. And the idea that someone would say, oh, wow, like I'm so close to Baltimore, all this like culture and cool things happening. I can live out here in Westminster where all this cool stuff is happening. And it just seems like it's an exciting place to be. That's what we're shooting for. Lafayette, uh, Louisiana. Um, one of the things that, that they did was really trying to you know, create jobs locally so that kids would not be leaving. Um, are you seeing, like, I mean, what are you seeing from some of the kids that are going through this? Because I think this is one of the main reasons communities build these kinds of networks is to make it exciting for kids to come back. So one thing is the culture and that sort of thing. But what kind of the first thing you mentioned in terms of creating the jobs and, and that sort of stuff, it may not be, you know, sexy $75, $100,000 a year jobs, but, but what kind of jobs are you talking about there? First of all, it's very early in the process. So the, the, the positive indicators we're seeing are very small and subtle, but they're real. Uh, so we've placed uh, probably about a dozen kids into internships and part-time jobs with local tech companies. You know, some might say, oh, well, that would have happened anyway. Uh, maybe not. Uh, maybe some of these kids would have gone elsewhere, or maybe the tech council, the tech companies would have looked elsewhere for these employees. Um, this is a five to 10 year project f- of growing these companies and, and getting kids placed. In terms of the kinds of jobs, uh, what we've seen so far, it's web development, it's software development, coding, um, some uh, network stuff, cybersecurity. Those are good, you know, reasonably well-paying white collar jobs that we want more of in our community. Like many uh, rural and semi-rural communities, our local economy is skewed heavily toward the school system, local government, the hospital, and maybe one or two large manufacturers. If any one of those things has a problem, that's a major negative impact on our local economy. So we need to have a more diverse local economy with lots of small businesses because uh, there's a substantial body of economic research that says that Net job growth, 60 to 80 percent of net new job growth comes from small businesses and entrepreneurs. So we need more of that. And that's a big part of what we're doing. And the fiber infrastructure is a unique asset now that we have in this community that will hopefully be an engine for creating those jobs, attracting those entrepreneurs and getting that net new job growth that's going to drive our economy for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. What is the best unanticipated thing that has happened? Like, what is something that came along and just just hit you out of the blue? Like, when I started thinking about building this fiber optic network and, and arguing that we should do it, something that you did not expect to happen that's happened, if there's anything. The fiber project has unrolled how I hoped it would unroll. So there hadn't been any big surprises there. I guess maybe the surprise is that I was right. <laughs> <laughs> not used to that. <laughs> um, 
No, really the big surprise is with magic. Uh, the, the, the totally unexpected thing that's been a big engine driver of the success and rapid growth of magic is I never realized how many technology professionals we already have living in our community that drive into Baltimore and Columbia and Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. And they, they're in the car for hours they hate it, and they want to do anything they can to help do what we want to do in terms of creating jobs and creating a technology ecosystem in Westminster and Carroll County. So we have this army of volunteers that have been helping us with our programming and projects that are all really high-skilled technology professionals that want to do this because they see the long-term benefit for their kids and everybody's kids in the community for creating this thing out of nothing uh, for our community. Well, that's, that's great. And I'm, you know, I'm incredibly excited uh, for people who uh, really want to know more of the nuts and bolts. We covered it in a, in a paper um, that you can find uh, dealing with public private partnerships and, um, and what we took away in terms of the, the best parts of the, the model with Ting and Westminster. So um, let me just say thank you so much for, for coming up here and uh, letting us know the update. Thanks for having me. That was Christopher with Robert Wack, City Council President from Westminster, Maryland, getting caught up on how the network has impacted the community. We have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. Thank you to Arnie Husby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons, and thanks for listening to episode 252 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Community Broadband Bits podcast.